You know, when kids were in the 90s were growing up, we answered their questions with questions. You know, they'd say, why is the sky blue? And you would ask back, well, why do you think it's blue? And so we were always encouraging that notion around being creative. Think about the big picture, understand the why, get to the why. And then they come to work and ask, well, why are we doing this? And others are saying that's arrogant. And it's like, but that's what we've taught them the whole way through. So why would we expect something different? From Inform, this is Buzz IT Talk, a show about tech buzzwords, trends, and the stories behind the hype, helping you go beyond the buzz. Sarah, how would you describe millennials? I would describe us as a group of people who are extremely hopeful, who um, generally are looking to get more from life than just a paycheck. We want to really make an impact on the world, um, one that will last long past the time that we're gone. You're using the word we there, so it's safe to assume you're a millennial, of course. I am. Yep, I'm 27. Okay, so I'm in that group as well. Uh, I won't give mm-hmm. my exact age away. I don't want anyone stealing my identity. <laughs> do you like Do you like avocado toast? Uh, I love avocado toast, but uh, I can't tell you if that's a millennial thing or an Australian <laughs> thing. Okay, there you go. So if we Google millennial today... Um, You'll get multiple articles that describe millennials as materialistic, arrogant, mm-hmm. lazy, selfish, your personal favorite, I assume, entitled. Yeah. You've started a blog titled The Entitled Millennial. Why? Yeah. So my name is Sarah Phillips. I'm, I live outside of the Seattle area, and I am the owner and content creator for the EntitledMillennial.org. I felt like there needed to be more of a positive voice. You know, there's a lot of news articles about how millennials are so entitled and all as we think about is ourselves. And I really wanted people to understand that that's not the case. And I also wanted, you know, other millennials, people in my generation to feel like they don't need to apologize for the year that they were born because um, that's kind of a ridiculous thing to do. I'm just uh, reading through and getting your first post because uh, mm-hmm. I want to quote something that you wrote there. Uh, yeah. And I quote, this brings us to my next point, which is the title of this blog, The Entitled Millennia. It's very interesting to me that some people are confused why millennials generally want to do what <laughs> they want to do. A person can be entitled and should be without assuming that others will take ownership of their desires and produce something for them. Unpack that a little for me. I want to start by saying I think the difference between millennials and a lot of other generations is that we want to work towards our own personal goals. And I think that that is something that maybe people who are part of an older generation are confused as to why we don't want to follow a set life path. Uh, maybe that some others have in the past followed. I originally thought I wanted to be a lawyer, but I kind of decided against that. So since college, I just kind of got the job that I could. Um, I eventually moved into sales. I did that for a few years. I just kind of was bouncing around and feeling like maybe there's something wrong with me because the jobs really felt like they were not a good fit. And I saw other people in my same position that were maybe five or 10 years older than me. That also didn't seem like very happy in those roles, but just kind of continued to do them. And I was, it took me a while to realize, you know, maybe there's nothing wrong with me. Maybe there's a greater social 
problem of people not pursuing what they need to pursue. Hmm. Of course, as a fellow millennial, I think I'm a bit biased in agreeing with Sarah. So I think we need to look outside of our generation avocado toast for some insights on the myths surrounding millennials. Suni, do you mind introducing yourself quickly? So, uh, Suni Lobo, uh, I lead uh, HR, so I'm the chief people officer for Navis globally. You know, the first one is that um, they, the, the first, I always hear they, they challenge the status quo, right? They're, they're not happy. They're always, you know, kind of challenging, um, you know, what, what is presented to them. And the way I look at it is that, you know, they ask questions, right? They seek clarity, and they provide open feedback. And and often they do it without many filters, which is great. I actually like the way they ask questions because, you know, I'd much rather ask you, I'd much rather hire, hire someone who's curious and asks questions and uh, figures out different ways of doing things more innovatively and creatively and in a more agile fashion than just sticking to the, you know, ABCB way of doing it, right? So that's the first stereotype. The second is that they're lazy, Right. Um, and they're entitled. <laughs> this is often what most people say about millennials. Um, I wouldn't say that I've experienced that, uh, you know, as a broad brush approach. I would say what I've experienced with millennials is what I experience at every generation in the company, right? It's just that um, it's probably more heightened with millennials because they don't have the same kind of uh, respect for hierarchy, as the baby boomers or the Gen Xs would have, right? Uh, They're more irreverent to hierarchy. Uh, As in, you have to prove that you are a good leader to be respected rather than, I will respect you because you're in a leadership role. Mm. You know, uh, that's what I found, right? So this, this, um, you know, entitlement thing comes from, I don't really respect you as a leader. I don't think that your path is the path that I want to follow. So, um, what's in it for me here and it can come across as entitled but I, I, I think there's more to be you know you need to delve a little bit deeper into what's going on for them right um, so you know laziness is something I, I, lots of people tell me about I, I, I don't think that I think that they focused on work-life balance so a millennial would not tell me would not hesitate to tell me that they have a concert that they need to go to at five o'clock and they need to leave at four o'clock so they can't make a meeting, which, which I absolutely love. I'm like, yeah, go for it, you know. Um, but it, it requires a different mindset and management style because when baby boomers are managing millennials who say this to them, they're like, oh, how could you even think of saying that to me, right? Um, so it's, it's, I think, I think the, the myths are more prevalent because there's a different generation that's managing a millennial whose whose cheese has completely been moved, right? Mm. A baby boomer's cheese is all about, I'm going to come here, I'm going to work 150%, I'm going to let people know that I'm the hardest working person in the room on the office, and um, that's what I bring to the table every day. Hard work, you know, nose to the grind, um, work harder than everybody else. The, the millennial comes in and says, "I've got five days, five days in the five hours in the day. Say, how can I get this done in two hours <laughs> <laughs> and be more creative and innovative and agile about it and create a better way to do it? Uh, and then, you know, go to yoga. 
yeah. for one out of the five hours, right? Which is, to me, absolutely acceptable. So it's about the mindset and how you think about leadership and how how you react to different types of people, not only generations, but diverse people, culturally diverse people, um, you know, people who don't have the same, you know, idea about work that you might have had. It's about us changing our mindset, but changing mindsets take, it requires time, right? It takes time for the change management to occur in organizations. Clearly, this episode isn't about technology, as a lot of our listeners will have become accustomed to, but rather something that uh, we consider peripheral to technology. We're talking about millennials, those amongst us who were born between 1981 and 1996. They go by a lot of different names, Gen Y, Generation Avocado Toast, as you've heard, my personal favorite, and of course, Digital Natives. There's a lot of terms out there to describe the group, but so that we're working from the same sort of common definition. How do you describe millennials? From what I'm seeing, I'm not so sure that the cutoff dates are as critical as appreciating the trends behind it. And I don't know who coined this, but someone said, you know, a generation really is a group of people that share a personality in a history book. And and what is it about that period of time that brings them to share that personality? We actually have to look at this from a multi-generation perspective. Um, When you think about today, you know, there's over 60 years or more of lived experience in a typical workforce. So we have people in Canada working into their 70s. Life expectancy has changed significantly um, from, say, 1920s. And so I think people are talking more about different generations today because when different generations come into the workforce today, there are significant differences in how people are accustomed to learning, working, communicating. And a huge part of that is digital, huge. And also with technology, with every new generation of technology coming out, you know, six months, 18 months, a new generation of an iPhone's coming, et cetera, et cetera. You're actually able to learn as much from younger people today as you are from older peers. And so that whole notion around mentorship and respecting your elders is also shifting with good reason. So I think, you know, we see these names like entitled and arrogant, but, you know, when kids were in the nineties, were growing up, we answered their questions with questions. You know, they'd say, well, why, what, why is this guy blue? And you would ask back, well, why do you think it's blue? And so we were always encouraging that notion around being creative, think about the big picture, understand the why, get to the why. And then they come to work and ask, well, why are we doing this? And others are saying that's arrogant. And it's like, but that's what we've taught them the whole way through. So why would we expect something different? So I really struggle with that. I don't like the negativity that goes with it. And I think, you know, when you really start to look at what we encouraged in child development for millennials, we really wanted people to be curious and ask questions. And we used to say, use your words, communicate. And now we get that in the workforce. People are asking questions. They're you know, challenging maybe the status quo and others are saying, whoa, you know, that's not the way we we were raised. We were raised to, you know, a child is to be seen and not heard. So different. When we go back through the generations and you start with traditionalists and then you move into baby boomers and look at Gen X and then you get into millennials, you know, when in Canada anyway, in for Gen X, um, we really saw a shift um, into women moving into the workforce. And with that brought this notion of now all of a sudden we have something called work-life balance because we don't have the mom of the baby boomers at home um, 
typically speaking, um, you know, taking care of those home-based jobs. So we get Gen X come along and now you've got both parents or dual incomes in the workforce. So now you have this thing called work-life balance where people need to kind of moderate their working hours. And then with millennials, we see it taking a step further even and adding in digital where we get this notion around work-life integration where you, because of digital and the opportunity to work from home, I think we're seeing that the the dividers just aren't there the way they were before. So I think productivity kind of um, is happening 24-7 in, you know, the seven-day work week and 24 hours a day, and you're almost operating on all fronts at all times. So that sense of productivity, it's like you're probably not only juggling your what's happening on your desk and on your computer, but you might also be juggling what's happening with family. You might be squeezing in pets. You might be squeezing physical health. You're, you're kind of squeezing all those things into the hours from when you wake up to when you fall asleep. So what are the generation eyes of who's seeing it? And so when we do the training, we really go through and it's almost like a time warp where we say like, what what was going on for traditionalists when they were growing up socially, economically, globally? What was the impact of depression? What was the impact of a war where people had to work together in solidarity? And when you think about, you know, when you think back to traditionalists and, and countries coming together to fight the world wars, they had to have uniforms that very much looked the same. And you didn't have what we talk about today with disruption and innovation and and wanting to stand out and be different. You wouldn't have seen a soldier say, you know, oh, Sergeant, I have a really cool idea of how we could get through this battle differently. Wow. Okay. So we've gone a bit deep there with some insights on uh, millennials and generational thinking, but uh, let's back up. Michelle, Maybe you should introduce yourself for our listeners. Um, my name is Michelle Scherter, and I am currently a founder of a company called Millennial Strategist. We do training and um, consulting work with businesses, communities, organizations, all coming to us to try to better understand uh, millennials and the multi-generation workforce that we're um, in today. The reason I got into this is that uh, I kind of consider it chapter three for my career. I have a background in child studies and a master's in social work where I did uh, clinical social work with children and youth and families in the 90s, um, late 80s, early, most of the 90s. Uh, And when you think about it, those are today's millennials. So having worked in childcare we used a lot of things, you know, when, then statements, and you might appreciate this being a father, um, you know, when you've got your um, vegetables, when your vegetables are all gone, then you can have your dessert or when your mitts are on, then we will go outside. When I worked in childcare, we were using these when, then statements with children as young as two. And the, and the idea there is really to get them to know what is the expectation and the sequence of what's happening next and also to allow some choice. So they have some autonomy to figure out, well, I guess I need to put on my mitts. But if you think back to other generations, that may not have been, there wasn't this time spent on this conversation about when you've done this, then you'll do that. It was just, you know, get your mitts on, we're going outside or even people putting the mitts on for the child and let's get outside and do it. And there's very simple things like that that might seem kind of fluffy, but that's a different type of um, learning from a very early age. And even with childcare today, we see kids are being raised in childcare centers or, or programs where they're in groups with their 
peers, plus or minus 10 months from the age of three months and older, very peer centric. Whereas when you think of baby boomers came from families of, you know, five or more children and you were raised, you know, you started working as soon as you could pick up a pitchfork or something if you were in farming um, and you were raised by your peers. And so when you came into the workplace, there was a bit more of a comfort there with all levels of peers and respect for autonomy because that's who you learn from. Whereas the younger generation today um, are, you know, are just raised with kids uh, right around their own age group and don't have that generational kind of diversity. Let's pump the brake, guys. I think a lot of what we're discussing here today applies to millennials uh, and boomers working in white-collar roles. But what about shift workers and blue-collar workers? So for listeners of season one, uh, I've got a familiar voice up next. Um, if you uh, had cycled into season one, you would know uh, Jorg Herbers from our episode on deductive intelligence. Uh, but for those of you who haven't heard it, uh, we're going to have uh, Jorg go ahead and introduce himself. Thanks, Matthew. Yeah, my name is Jörg Habers. I'm head of Inform's Workforce Management Division. Started with Inform in 2000 in different positions, um, well, consulting and so on. And now heading the workforce management activities, which actually have to do a little bit with our um, today's episode. Uh, we actually have to do, uh, well, mostly with blue-collar workers. And... Well, blue-collar workers is is often about shift work. Um, well, early shifts, late shifts, night shifts, and so on. And when you are in shift work, I mean, companies usually don't choose to do shift work, but rather buy the services um, or production or whatever, manufacturing, whatever it may be. Um, well, the business model requires shift work. Millennials have grown up with digital media. They're used to Spotify, to WhatsApp, to all these apps, basically. And they're used to flexible working, and they expect, basically, that work is like that. And looking at the working times, at sh let's say shifts, shifts is, well, shift work is, is probably not the most favorite topic, not within the millennials' generation, and also, also not probably in other generations, but even, I mean, with millennials, even worse, with this kind of flexibility mindset, well, working shifts is possibly rigid and not being able to interact with your working times on a mobile device or so yeah. is something that, that does make sense possibly to such a generation. So they would expect that there is a digital access and a digital interaction and collaboration in terms of how to design working times. Interesting. I, I want to back up and ask one question before we get into that digital element, because I think that's where we're building to. Mm -hmm. um, is it a trend that you can comment on whether or not millennials are moving into industries that are traditionally very shift work driven or is there a shortage of them possibly because it's not a working style that that they're comfortable with or doesn't really fit in with their some of these um, generalizations that we're talking about? I mean, there is a certain tendency towards a little bit more percentage of shift work overall across all industries. It is something where you could wonder about uh, digitalization, how, how much, I mean, everybody knows that digitalization will probably change the landscape of industries and jobs and so on. Sure. How will that develop in terms of, is it going to become more shift work or less shift work? 
Um, if the robots take over, it's probably going to be less, right? Uh, yeah, th <laughs> that is a certain expectation. On the other hand, you still will have service industries which need personal attendance and, and so sure. on. And, and uh, we currently don't believe that shift work percentage-wise will reduce. And that means, I mean, coming to younger generations who want that flexibility, who may not be fond of working shifts, um, well, that's kind of kind of conflict. I mean, shift work still needs to be done also in the future Absolutely. with a change in industries. But who's going to work those jobs? And so I think that logically brings us to, if I can conclude correctly, or at least, you know, come to a summary, millennials aren't hugely fond of being told when to turn up and when to go home. So how do we marry those two differences? How do we resolve that inherent challenge? Yeah, uh, and, and specifically, how do we solve it for blue-collar workers? Of course. Well, the solution that we think is, is a solution to that problem is, well, obviously, digitalization of that area. I mean, uh, bring well, the mobile devices and the apps uh, to the younger generation, mm -hmm. uh, start or give them the ability to interact with their working times, to enter preferences, uh, to be able to, to um, change shifts and to swap shifts with colleagues and so on. Um, so make it flexible. I mean, ultimately, the, the, the question that you wanted to answer with shift schedules was not, well, make it a rigid shift schedule. The, the, the question was a guarantee a certain level of staffing at all times. Mm -hmm. And while this old answer, the rigid shift schedule, is only one answer. It's easy. It's an easy answer. But in nowadays digital world, there can be other answers. Why don't you flexibly schedule all of those shifts all of the time, kind of playing a big Tetris, basically, getting everything staffed, but considering the wishes and preferences of a millennials generation and maybe other generations as well, interacting with the schedules via their mobile devices. So basically, give them that level of interaction and build some intelligent logic, intelligent decision-making logic uh, behind the scenes that solves the Tetris puzzle. It's a complex puzzle. It cannot be solved usually by human beings. To a certain extent, yes, but but consider all of those preferences and wishes being entered by hundreds of employees. Uh, I, I'm not even talking about part-timers that would say, okay, well, listen, I, I don't work 35, 38, 40 hours per week. I work 20 hours per week and I can work on Monday morning, Wednesday afternoon and Friday afternoon and taking those availabilities into account. All of that makes up for, for a big puzzle needs to be solved, and it can be solved by algorithms, um, which look holistically at the, at the complete problem, basically, at the complete problem space, and make all of the balancing of the different aspects um, behind the scenes. And that, that really is, is the digital technology that enables to think differently about shift work. I th it is kind of the key towards meeting millennials' requirements in terms of what they expect in terms of working times in a blue collar, in a, in a shift work um, environment. And it seems that millennials and their phones are a pretty common theme throughout any uh, millennial focused content. Now you, with your phone, you can, be, you can be traveling, you can be playing a game, you can be downloading things, you can be listening to music, you can be doing all of that with a device smaller than your hand. And so we're constantly, you know, 
entertained. We're constantly on and employees today, especially millennials want to feel on, they need to feel engaged, enlightened. They need to feel like, you know, it has to be going somewhere. And this, the sort of era of doing the same job and putting my dues in, I just heard this at a training two weeks ago, you know, I paid my dues and now some young people are coming along and they want to get promoted faster and they haven't even paid their dues yet. And I'm thinking, I don't know that you're going to get (laughs) as many people today between 20 and 30 years old being okay with being in the same type of job, doing the same type of work for two to five years, paying their dues. Um, I just don't think you're going to see that. Of course, this idea of paying your dues is generational as well, isn't it? Yep. But And you see that at work, right? Like you would have seen that at work, a generation where if you were younger, you would learn from older, more experienced people in the workforce. And you certainly wouldn't expect after having been in a workplace for three or six months that you would apply for the next level up. But with the millennial generation, it was all about moving ahead, putting in the effort, trying to you know get going forward, being collaborative, working together as a team. Michelle, is there an easy advice or an easy takeaway that you would give to our listeners? Well, one of the things I actually challenge people who ever come to the courses and the trainings and workshops is I always say, you know, when you leave here, what I actually want you to do is go get a mentor that's 15 to 20 years younger than you and and meet with that person once a month for coffee and start asking them a bit more about um, how did they book their last trip? How do they listen to music? How do you most often socialize with your friends? How often do you see friends? Like the idea is really to almost develop a relationship with someone outside your own kind of generational comfort, preferably a millennial, to tap in to better understand um, what's that sort of millennial energy like? Because I think as you do that as employers and you start to get a sense of that, you have your own aha moments and that will help you figure out what do you need to start shifting to better engage those millennials in your workplace? And so if you're a millennial and you're feeling like, whoa, this workplace is really foreign, but I want to try and get two years under my work belt working here, you can approach that another way where you ask someone more senior than you, would you be interested in taking me on as a mentor for you know, for the next year? Um, can we meet once a month? And, you know, I'm happy to share any of the latest research that I can find on our competitors or collaborators. Um, but I'd love your input on how to maybe advance uh, initiatives within our company. And if you can get a relationship like that going, then you can start to almost create a bit of change across the organization by starting to highlight how millennials maybe have some extra nuances that can start to make the company a bit more relevant in 2020. Well, that's certainly great advice to usher in the new year. There's only one last thing to do. Millennials, lazy, arrogant, and entitled or worth investing in? Oh, it's not a question. Definitely worth investing in. Yeah, there's just not in question. Thanks, Michelle. I think it's only fair that we give uh, our millennial voice uh, the last word. If businesses give them a chance, what do you think uh, the, what's the key takeaway for them? What's the the, the number one return they're going to get? They're going to get people who are extremely creative and very hardworking, 
maybe not in a traditional sense, but we will go above and beyond our job title. We will look to collaborate with other departments, other people, and we will be a champion of new ideas. As always, you can find links to many of the resources we used in preparing for this episode on the Buzz IT Talk website, as well as contact details for our guests. Buzz IT Talk was brought to you by Inform. It's produced by Kai Kepner, Louisa Valendi, and myself, Matthew Wittemeyer. Our post-production is done by the talented Jenny Neustrus, with special help from Sabina Volter and Thomas Bergmans. Learn more about Buzz IT Talk at buzzittalk.com, or follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. You can subscribe for regular podcast updates at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Matthew Wittemeyer. Thanks for listening.